0: Hello and welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter.
1: I'm Sandhya Anantharaman. And I'm Jim Pugh.
0: And in this episode, we are going to talk about paths to the basic income, various stepping stones we have to cross until we. this goes from an idea that we're talking about to a policy that's being enacted.
1: Yeah, I know a big concern that a lot of folks have had and still have is what does it look like to get from where we're at now, where More people are talking about the idea, and you're starting to get some interest from some very significant stakeholders to actually a point of enacting basic income here in the U.S. What are the steps along that path?
0: And I think this is a a mental leap for for some people that sometimes I bring up the basic income, and the first response is, well, yeah, good luck with that, Uh, just because it seems like such a a radical move from what we have right now. But I feel like there are steps along the way that we can take where this isn't going to seem so radical, hopefully, in the near future.
2: One of the benefits that I think that we have in the U.S. is that I think we can count on continued conversation around basic income. You know, we're seeing pilots and experiments in other countries. And I think that as we continue to get news about that, we'll continue to raise awareness. So we have an opportunity to make sure that this issue keeps gaining in support.
1: And that's certainly going to be a key aspect here. Even with all the talk that we all hear in our own bubbles, if you look at the average person in the States, most of them haven't even heard of the concept. So a big part of the path forward is certainly going to need to be raising awareness, getting people not just to hear about the idea in a very brief form, but actually to gain some understanding and, and understand what it would do.
0: Yeah, and so obviously a, a big part of that is the media. I feel like we're seeing more and more articles in, um, let's see, where there, Bloomberg did a big UBI article, um, Vox, anything that kind of, any publication that focuses on policy a lot, I feel like has at least done one pass on the basic income. I feel like the next step is to, you know, have a, a, a I don't watch a lot of TV news, but like a, you know, nightly news special kind of thing, like a 60 Minutes report, you know, get more and more mainstream uh, with that stuff so that it starts to break through.
2: Well, in fact, you know, we have seen even NPR shows like Marketplace and PBS Mm -hmm. do specials on the topic. And I think we'll just see that continue to happen. One organization that I think has done a really good job of sort of collecting all of the news around basic income around the world has been the Basic Income Earth Network. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they've really leaned into over the last Year and a half, making sure that they are capturing every new story, every piece of information about basic income. Yeah, and
0: I think it's really helpful to have like a one stop shop for, for all your basic income news. Yeah. Um, like, I, I'm a baseball fan and I have certain websites where I know if I want to like see if there are new trades, I can always go to MLB Trade Rumors and it will definitely be there. And Basic Income Earth Network has kind of become that for the basic income.
1: I think beyond that, when we're thinking about raising awareness, media is going to be a key. Piece, but also the conversations that people are having with one another, that's also where this needs to be happening. It's pretty hard to really make that deep, compelling argument just from a video and certainly from an article, but if you're talking to people you know about Base it gives you that chance to actually have, oh go through what does this actually mean, how like answer to specific questions, help people to think about what this would actually do in a larger sense and, and bring them on that journey.
2: That's a great point. I mean, I think you're right. We need to make sure that this is an issue that people are thinking about in their day-to-day lives, that they're thinking about their short-term and their long-term futures and thinking about how basic income might figure into the decisions that they're making and then their friends or family are making.
0: Yeah. And I think a part of that is to start to make it a more realistic idea and, and not this kind of fantastical policy idea where it's like, yeah, well, we could also just give people lunch every day or something. It has to move into the realm of the possible. And perhaps it already has for some of us, but, you know, for more and more of the country. So one way that I think that can start to happen is through actual implementations of the basic income, whether it be a, a pilot study or various policies where people get some kind of dividend.
1: Yeah. If you look at at the work that's happening right now at Chesapeake Climate Action Network. We had the pleasure of interviewing Camila Thorndike from there a few months back. But they're really focused on cap and dividend. So providing some sort of cap and pricing on carbon emissions and then using the money that comes in from polluters. So not only disincentivizing them from polluting, also using that revenue to then be distributed universally across probably the state. That's where they're they're looking at their implementations, but giving everyone the same amount. And so it, it provides familiarity with this idea of unconditional income, even if it's not yet at a, at a basic income level.
2: And we've certainly seen with the Alaska Permanent Fund dividend, this model work really well. I mean, people in Alaska are now used to getting, you know, it's for them, it's a yearly dividend. But you know, being used to this sort of cushion, being able to expect this kind of security that comes once a year.
0: And obviously that's really popular. I mean, there's basically nothing more popular than giving people money. (laughs) And so once you get people used to that, yeah, that obviously has a lot of political clout. Uh, We should also mention that Washington State nearly passed something along the lines of a cap and dividend this past election in 2016. It failed at the ballot box, but I think it was something like a week or two before people were thinking it it might pass. And so it's, it's not I think there
1: were some political complications that happened there. It's not that uh, there's a lot of places that have talked and continue to talk seriously about cap and dividend. So this it's definitely a policy that could happen very soon. This isn't something that that's super far off.
0: And one thing that excites me about that is that then you would have a a fund, and hopefully it would be a fund that could be added to from other sources that just goes to every citizen in the state, let's say. And if it gets popular enough, there could be other revenue sources that then get poured into that fund and increase the dividend that goes to every citizen that doesn't just come from the carbon cap.
2: And, you know, along the lines of implementations that we could start doing sooner rather than later, I think it's definitely interesting to talk about experiments. Now, there's been this long history of experiments with cash transfers around the world. But, you know, right now we're also seeing organizations start to experiment with ideas of basic income in the U.S. So Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator based in the Bay Area, they're in the process of uh, figuring out how to conduct a longer three to five year study, giving people an unconditional basic income in the United States.
0: And I think the in the United States part is crucial. Uh, Give directly has already done a ton of work in uh, in Africa, and I think it goes into a different category in people's minds when it feels more like charity, uh, when it's more like a dollar a day in those experiments, in those situations. Whereas in the United States, we have you know the economics of the United States, and your dollar only goes so far in the United States. Obviously, that makes it a lot more expensive, but that brings it home to people and says, you know, this is happening to you or to your neighbors.
2: What's really exciting about this pilot is that not only are we going to get to see, you know, what happens when you give people a basic income, but we'll also get stories out of this. We'll start to understand not just from a sort of like financial well-being perspective what happens, but also just how people feel and what they end up doing, you know, whether they're able to sort of follow their dreams with a basic income in somewhere, as you're saying, is that is relatable. It's, you know, a city in, in the Bay Area in California.
1: I think we'll also see a lot of very interesting results coming out of the pilots, getting a better understanding of what the dynamics look like as far as how do you actually give people basic income, how do they react generally. And as we start to be able to collect more data around that, I think that can feed into helping us to figure out answers to bigger research questions on the topic. Thinking about economic analyses, working to predict what sort of effects basic income will have on communities, on the economics, on society there. And also using those those same frameworks to then start thinking about can we be actually running large control of basic income experiments here in the U.S.? We already know that Y Combinator is, is thinking about doing that, but where are the other opportunities to do that? How can that help us to really better understand what the policy does.
0: And I think the the pilots we're seeing now have that in mind. It's not just, you know, like, we, we've got $10 billion sitting around, let's just give it away. Uh, it's, you know, like, this could be a very important part of the US social safety net going forward. And so we need to collect data on it, we need to know how it's going to work, if it works. and And I think that's that's going to be obviously a key piece of the puzzle, is that if you're you know, a state legislator, a mayor, a whatever, you need to spend this amount of money. You have to know that it's going to work, that there's data to back it up that says, we tried it. It made things a lot better. And so these experiments, I think, have that future in mind.
1: And I think as we start to, to get more people hearing about it, as we start to build support, as we start to collect more data, it suddenly starts being much more feasible to look at what are the bigger political solutions here. And I think at that point, and I, I think it's still premature, certainly at the federal level, and maybe even for doing any sort of big programs at the state level, but as as we do move forward, thinking about, all right, How can we start talking to our elected officials? How can we start making sure that they also know about this idea, that they also see how much support is here and see what sort of data is out there and how that supports the idea, um, how we can actually start thinking about what are are the big solutions in that space?
0: Yeah, very few legislators are bold enough to come forward with a policy like this if they don't think their constituents are behind it or even really see it coming. It is a a big idea. It's It could really rearrange things in terms of how the government interacts with its constituents and its citizens. And so I, I think there both needs to be kind of a top-down data collection experimentation process, but also the bottom-up building of support and awareness.
1: And I think if you look five, ten years down the road, it seems very likely we're going to see some pretty major economic disruptions coming our way. As we see technology continue to advance and disrupt the way we do work today, we're going to have a lot of people who, if not being put entirely out of work, are having to struggle and sit together more transient and and part-time work, and in those moments, in those big change moments, there may be much more of an appetite for, for big political shifts.
0: I know everyone brings up self-driving cars and self-driving trucks, but this is the point where I'm going to do that. Um, I feel like, you know, some people say it's going to be 40 years before truck drivers all start losing their jobs. Some people say it's going to be more like three to five years, but that could be a moment when... People say, okay, all of a sudden we've got literally millions of people who are going to have trouble getting a job and the, the career they've been pursuing for a decade or whatever it is is suddenly no longer viable. And we might see that in other sectors as well. Manufacturing, but also more you know so-called white-collar jobs. And that could create a political moment where something like this becomes a more viable policy.
2: I do think, for what it's worth, that we are sort of an inflection point where people are taking a step back. You know, I think most people are surprised by the results of the election to say, you know, what are the values that hold us together? And I think that this is an opportunity to talk about economic security and inclusion and to tie basic income to that. So to really start having people connect those two ideas in their mind. So I do think that you're right, there's there's a chance to bring basic income into sort of mainstream political discourse by talking about it as a way to increase security.
0: And one final point I'll I'll throw in there is we've talked about various points about, you know, stepping stones to the basic income, like raising awareness, doing pilot studies, building political support. And they would maybe roughly go in that order, but I actually think that those three things all have to be happening all the time because they they all tie into each other. You don't really get one without the other two.
1: That's a great point. I think that there's many fronts we can be engaging on right now. I do think that it is worth thinking about what are what, what will need to be in place as, as we go ahead, though, and so whatever front you feel like is best to be engaging on, thinking about where does this take us, not just next year, but two years, five years down the road.
0: That's been another episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you like and leave a rating and review while you're there. And also let your friends know about this podcast so that we can continue to spread the movement. Also, big thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson, for all the hard work in making this podcast sound as good as it does. See you next week.